The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion hosted by Michael Guyon. This, I think, will be a, a really interesting and, I think, passionate conversation because Tom and I actually think, I think, fairly similarly, which because I've seen some of his recent media appearances and, and podcasts here and listen to them. So, Tom, for those who are not familiar with your background, introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you? How did you get involved in trading? And what's it like being a full-time trader for your own money? Oh, that's a lot of questions. Got to keep it broad in the beginning, my friend. Yeah. My name's Tom Canfield. I've been doing this for about 25 years. I got into the business. I originally was in the business, worked for Kidder Peabody in their mortgage-backed CMO department, selling bonds and whatever, and got out of the business and got into the restaurant business. All at the same time, started having kids, and the restaurant business was chaotic, but I always had this bent towards the market and whatever, and my dad invited me to go to a Wade Cook seminar. I've, I've told this story a bunch of times, just as like a father-son, let's go hang out kind of thing. And I'm like, sure, what the fuck? And I got away from the restaurants for a couple of days and was able to, we went out to Salt Lake City, Utah for three days. And uh, two of it was a seminar. And uh, I learned about these covered call strategies and various different option strategies of a way to ring the register and whatever. Well, I mean, it turns out that the whole thing, you know, Wade Cook was a, was a crook and everything, but it, it planted that seed in me that never seemed to go away. So I kind of, that was in 1996, I think, 96, 97. And I started messing with the market and doing covered call strategies while I was trying to run the restaurants, even though I knew I was going to have to wind the restaurants down. And it just, that that's how I got introduced into the actual equity side of trading. And the internet came along and we could do this on our own. And I played with it for about two years. And then the restaurants basically went belly up and I either had to go get a job or I had to roll my sleeves up and see if I could figure out the trading thing. And I'm like, I don't do well working for other people. So let's give this a shot. And that's that's literally, I kind of, I, you know, I don't recommend that path for anybody, but I had already had two years of experience, primarily all losses. I'd blown up like three or four different accounts, but I was getting smarter every single time. And then I got into it for about six months. I was actually doing okay. And then I had a really bad loss that got away from me and absolutely decimated me. And I went to my old man on bended knee and said, Pop, can you help me? Uh, otherwise, I got to go get a job. And he spotted me a, a $100,000 and said, go for it. Pay me back when, when you can. And that accountability 
and that belief in me or whatever, like flipped some switches in me that, that allowed me to all of a sudden stop some of the really bad adrenaline rushed habits that I had, I, I had created and caused me to really narrow my focus and say, okay, I have to do this. And uh, so the rest of it's just kind of history. I, I started to build a track record of success from there and did really well. And then I finally got to the point where I could pay my dad back and he said, keep it, which was, you know, some of those things, those like that's, that's been impactful to me now as I've got four kids and they're all now in their twenties and, and whatever. And that's a story that I'll never forget. And it's something that I hope I get the opportunity to do for my kids. So that's kind of the beautiful side of, of, of how I got into trading. And I just grew and grew. I mean, I'm a can slim trader for those that aren't aware. I mean, I basically I am a I am a momentum swing, primarily long trader of great companies, great growth stocks, primarily when the market's healthy, which it is not right now. And then figuring out ways to nickel and dime it to death in these in these choppy times, because the reality is that, you know, you're not in these difficult markets like we're in right now nearly as much as you're in good, healthy markets. You just have to learn how to identify the bad markets and weather them because the money that you make when the market's in a healthy phase is pretty significant with the way that CamSlim works and kind of the way that I've sort of constructed it. So anyway, that's a quick and dirty. As far as how is it to be a full-time trader, it, uh, it's exhilarating at times. It sucks at times. The, the, the toll of having a gun to your head all the time definitely shapes the way that I have developed my trading strategy. I don't look for home runs. It's just not productive for me to look for home runs because I've got a mortgage to pay every month and I got car payments to make every month and I got groceries to buy. And so I am within the context of buying great growth stocks that outperform the market. I am much more of a short-term grinding explosion. I call it explosion swing trading, where I'm really in stocks for about three to 10 days by and large, sometimes as long as three weeks, sometimes as long as three months, but rarely. But most of the time, it's very short-term where I'm looking for explosive moves within a trend. So that's what I do and how I do it. And I'm now kind of on the backside of my career and I'm teaching now as opposed to doing as much. I had a heart attack in June of last year out of nowhere because I take pretty good care of myself. It turns out I've got a bunch of genetic stuff that when stress really hits the fan, kind of cranked that up and it was a scary moment, but it it kind of shifted me into I don't I don't need to trade like I used to. And so I slowed down and I've really started to enjoy the teaching side of it. I still trade. I just don't trade nearly as big and I don't trade nearly as often. Is there anything from the experience of being an entrepreneur with the restaurants, their, their startup, their growth, their closing? Is there anything from that experience that transferred over to the way that you think about trading, risk management? It's always fascinating to me to hear what skills transfer from one domain that has nothing to do with investing to the actual business of managing money. It helped me understand the power of having a leverageable concept. I built my my stores to four restaurants. I had no idea what I was doing and my structure was chaotic. And the fact that I grew is what kind of killed me because I had a good core concept that I didn't know how to duplicate effectively. But I recognized that that was really the power. I mean, when, I, when, you, when you look at Starbucks, you look at Panera. I, I grew up with Panera. You know, the, the first St. Louis bread company, which became Panera, was, you know, a mile and a half from my, from my childhood home. So I, I got to see some some prime examples, and those stores all ended up kicking my ass because I was in the bagel and coffee business. But the repeatable, recurring, 
revenue, building a system that, that, that you can leverage off of for growth was an eye-opener. The other eye-opener was that my dad was involved with a, uh, with a company that went public. And I watched how that stock specifically grew. I mean, it had one of those, one of those growth phases that we're all looking for as growth stock investors. And that was also, that was like a secondary education ground for me to see how the market reacted to that business model and the growth prospects and whatever. And so between those, those two worlds, it really, it, it really spoke to how I wanted to, what I wanted to look for and, and, and how I got into doing growth stock trading. You had, you had said a word earlier which struck out to me when you said you've you'd started trading and you had some accounts not do as well or even blow up and you said well, yeah. the loss the loss decimated me the, the word decimated is is interesting because I think every trader as well as investor has periods where their portfolios get decimated they get a yep. nasty drawdown right and then but even worse is their confidence gets decimated because it, that decline as, seems to define them. Right. Correct. So, as traders, trading is a confidence game. One hundred percent, it is a confidence game. And so, I learned through getting my ass kicked that I'm so much more effective when I manage my confidence within my trading. I shortcut trades all the time and take winners sometimes before they're quote unquote finished with their run because I need a higher win rate to manage my confidence. It makes me bolder. It makes me more aggressive in those key moments when it really matters. But managing confidence is everything. And when you take big losses, it eats away at the fabric of your capability to make good decisions. And it's, I mean, I'm on record with a handful of major losses that I've taken through my 25 years and kind of how I've had to, you know, I've had to step away. I've had to, I've had to, you know, find solace, come to neutral. You know, a big part of it is accepting the loss. Okay, that money's not mine anymore. So it's not like your because your first reaction when you get decimated or you take a big loss is okay. I got to go get that money back, which is a very dangerous state of mind for you to be in. You you have to step away until you accept that that money doesn't belong to you anymore. It's gone. If you had five hundred thousand and now you've got three hundred and fifty, you have three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You you're not somebody that had five hundred that now has three fifty. You just have three fifty, and that's where you are. Deal with that and move forward from there. It's uh, like trading it in, in its simplest form is pretty easy. It's it's us that make it really really difficult. It's it's. I mean, I the reason I talk so much on Twitter about psychology and mindset and emotional makeup and everything is because it, it, once you get past the first couple of years of learning how the market kind of works and whatever, it's all about what's between your ears and what's inside your heart. It's finding that sort of consistency of of mindset that allows you to weather the storms, but it also allows you to say say yes to the stuff that you need to say yes to and be very firm about saying no to the stuff that you need to say no to. And 98% of the stuff is a no. And that's, I mean, we'll get, we'll get into that some too, but it's, it's about narrowing your focus massively because as individuals, we can't do what massive institutions can do. So we have to pick our little playground that we can play in that gives us some sort of scope and some sort of feel. It's kind of like you're stepping into the ocean and you've got this little dinghy with an oar and you've got to go across the Atlantic versus these institutions that are, you know, they're like the, you know, the Queen Mary, my, my mother-in-law's on the Queen Mary right now going across over to Southampton. And, you know, we just can't compete. And so we have to figure out where we can compete and how we can compete and how to manage ourselves within that so that we're not constantly chasing too many shiny objects. 
We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Gayet here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. You also need to be a little bit crazy, I'd argue, in the sense that a lot of well, people call that. Right, no, and, and I say because a lot of people, because um, really, a lot of people think that you know success comes first, then confidence comes afterwards. And I'd argue this is the case for pretty much every domain of entrepreneurship in life. It's not about getting success that gets you confidence. You need to have confidence first before the success, which means you somewhat con yourself, right, in terms yes. of your ability to deal with the unknowable. The self-talk that at least all I have is an experience of one, which is me. But the self-talk that I, even today, still have to continue to take myself through to effectively take trades is significant. But you're absolutely right. The confidence, you have to step into this with confidence. You have to step into this with kind of a, knowing that the percentages are against you and whatever, you have to be crazy enough to say, listen, I'm good enough to beat the odds. And I think that's the point that you're trying to make. But absolutely, you, you have to carry that within you. But we all have the ability. It's the belief that lags the bulk of people. And if they keep taking losses, they just see. It's like this. See, I can't do it. See, I'm just like everybody else. It's like you, you kind of have to fight back against that animal in a, in a big way. I mean, there's, a, there's, I mean, my, my, my ways of self-talk sometimes, especially when I was younger, is probably not the healthiest in the world. And, and I think I recognize that now. But I mean, I, I would get really, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a hockey coach. I was a hockey coach for 15 years. And so you, you have your certain, you know, hockey players have a, have, a pretty, have a pretty brutally honest vernacular. And I'm just that way with myself to almost rev my, when I was in my early days to rev myself up. Now I know I'm good. That sounds obnoxious, but it's like now I know that I can do it. It's just a question of do I do I stay within myself? And if I if I get sidetracked and I don't, I, I can quickly migrate back to what I know works and is viable and whatnot. And the teaching is actually and I've only been doing it for three months, but the teaching has actually reinforced that within me tremendously. I'm going to get some of the audience up here in a second. But but real quick, it's there's something which I don't think too many people tend to talk about, which is that the longer that you've been in the game trading and investing, I would argue the harder it is to be excited or be down, right? Because you get kind of numb. Your reward system gets screwed up over time, right? Because yes. you're going to gains, losses, gains, losses, gains, losses. And I don't know if that many new traders really understand the emotional toll over multiple cycles, seeing multiple gains and multiple losses, what that does to their own psychology even outside of when markets are open it takes a massive toll i mean i i've said to to friends and whatever and i I don't talk about but i i burned out i i think i think i am still to a certain degree i am totally exhausted from the constant challenge of trying to figure out the puzzle the best way that i can day in and day out over the course of 20 plus years it does take its toll and you need to learn how to have i did not have good balance with the way that I did certain things, I do now. 
it became really clear. I mean, it's amazing when you have health struggles, it, it educates you really, really fast on some of the flaws you have in your current lifestyle and whatnot. And so balance is a huge part of that. So when I'm talking to a lot of young people right now, I'm, I'm talking about balance and you've got a 25 year old that's foaming at the mouth, ready to go. He wants to dive in. He wants to know everything. He wants to do everything. He wants to stare at the screens for 10 hours a day. And the more screens he's got, the better, because that's just more information coming into him. And you're like, dude, you're going to fucking kill yourself. You, you got to slow down. So it's, but I say that, and I, I don't know that I was any different in my, I didn't start till I was 30, but in my thirties, I was, I was all that. I was filled with hubris and, and couldn't take my eyes off the screen. So, but at 55, you know, I got a big wake up call. So it's, it's kind of like in reflection, you can go, okay, how can I, how can I best communicate to these guys that don't want to hear this message that it does add up? You're not as invincible as you think you are, and there is a certain amount of balance that you have to have. Otherwise, it is going to slowly suck the life out of you, and it's going to affect your life outside of trading. It's going to affect your weekends because it's it it's insidious in terms of how it can get into you. So, yeah, and, and that goes directly to the name of the space, which we're going to tease out in a bit. But I want to get some of the audience here. As far as current events, to be perfectly honest with you, I try and stay away from current events as much as possible because to me, they're landmines in the system. Like look at today, for example. Nobody knew what was how this thing was going to play out. That guy said the same damn thing for the last five months. He's been, he's been consistent about his message. And all of a sudden he comes out and to me, he says the same thing again. And now we're selling off you know, 600 points in the Dow and whatever, two and a half percent in the NASDAQ. So to answer your question, like I stay away from current events to the best of my ability. I mean, they're, they're, they're constantly happening around us. But, you know, I focus on, on, on where is the current strength? Where is the thematic strength in sectors? And then where is the strength in individual stocks? And then from there, I mean, it's kind of a, it's, it's, it's parsed out, but it's, it's hard to explain. I'm looking for setups that demonstrate the opportunity to have explosive power. So I'm looking for stocks that have explosive power. I'm looking for setups that have explosive power in sectors that are currently strong. So money is flowing in. Because if you think about it from the standpoint of how institutions, because I'm trading institutional stocks. And if you think about it from the standpoint of how institutions have to play, they can't just buy one stock. So we may be in love with Enphase, for example. ENPH and it's exploding and it's going great, but you can't buy enough Enphase if you're BlackRock. You can't buy enough Enphase to have it. You'd have to buy the entire company. So you you have to spread it out to your to to its neighbors, and you've got to buy other. So you're 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 investing in themes, and maybe you're waiting Enphase more than you're waiting, say, Solar Edge or you know First Solar or whatever. But you have to invest in themes. So that's the first thing that I'm looking for is I'm always looking for themes because themes tend to have way more power than an individual stock. An example of an individual stock would be Celsius, C-E-L-H, which has also exploded in whatever, but it doesn't necessarily have a theme behind it right now. It's just an individual stock that's kicking ass. Well, that's going to have a much different investor profile because it's only a single stock than if it's a theme. I trust themes a whole lot more. Like the semiconductor theme is starting to kind of, at least until today, it was starting to show its head and whatever with more and more capital flows consistently going in to semiconductors to, in certain areas of semiconductors. So I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I try and like, I don't play Fed announcements. I don't play earnings. I might 
just because I, I might day trade an earnings announcement after it's been made and I see kind of what the pattern is. But in terms of explosion swings, like I don't want to get involved in a company in front of their earnings announcement. I would prefer to wait, see what happens. If they explode, then I wait for it to settle down and look for a place to get in for a second move. Does that answer your question? There's only so much you can teach. What I'll say is there's only so much you can teach somebody who's not ready to learn yet. I was that guy in 99. Like, I think this market, this this bear market mixed with, you know, coming off of 2020 reminds me tremendously of the 99 into 2000 and then the 2000 to 2002 or 2003, wherever you want to call the bottom of it, bear market. A lot of similarities, a lot of not similarities because of fiscal policy is so tremendously different. Not tremendously different, but you know, we're we didn't have inflation then, which we do now, and so that's a little bit different fly in the ointment. But I made some good money in '99, and then I, you know, the real full time stuff for me started in 2000. So timing wasn't great, and so that was part of my, as I mentioned earlier in the show, part of my continued blow ups was me being stubborn. I was smart enough to not take all of my money. I just kept starting with ten thousand dollar accounts, and like I had, you know. I just kept blowing up $10,000 account, uh, accounts, and I didn't put all my eggs in one basket until I figured it out, thankfully. But I think the – and I, I preach this in my, in my teaching, and I talk about it on Twitter, that, that understanding the power of environment, to me, is the very most important thing that, that, that you can do as a trader. And I think it's something that the young traders, the new traders, don't really take into consideration at all. They just think that – you know, these explosive gains are happening and they're going to continue to happen. And, and, and the fact is, is that the market has so many different faces to it and so many different environments and so many different styles get paid well by the market at different times. And so you have to become a student of, OK, if I want to trade like this, whatever it is, if I want to be a day trader of low float stocks, if I want to be a cancel and growth trader, if I want to trade utility stocks, if I want to be a value investor, whatever it is, you have to then do the work to figure out, okay, what environments does this style have a lot of success and what environments are presented where it really struggles? I know that in a downtrending market, growth stocks get their asses kicked and there's really nothing to do. and the new cycle will be new stocks. It won't be the old ones that made me money last year. So I need to not worry about those stocks and go back to them. I need to be looking for new ideas and new companies and new innovations that are going to carry the market forward the next time. You know, so it's and I can't stress enough. And I have my ways of evaluating environment very precisely so that I know, you know, how aggressive I'm supposed to be. And so that's something that I think new traders completely forget and completely ignore. And, and they're stubborn and they're stubborn because they've had success. And if you're a young guy that's had a lot of success, the last thing you want to do is hear from some, you know, gray hair like me that's saying, dude, it's not always like this. So I can say it till I'm blue in the face. I can recommend that and, and try and teach how environment changes. But the greatest teacher that's out there is the market itself and the pain that it inflicts on stubborn, naive 
traders who've had success that they don't fully understand where it came from. Yeah, I've called that many times uneducated speculation, which I right. think it kind of defines, especially coming out of the low. So everybody here, just to reset for the remaining half an hour, everyone, please make sure you follow Tom here on Twitter. Burl's going to talk about his new service, Be Dumb Follow Price, which I think is a, a hilarious and a very accurate way of thinking about markets. <laughs> Again, my name is Michael Guy, I'm publisher of the Lead Lag Report. All right, so I, I love the discussion around environment because I always I frame it more in terms of conditions. Right, conditions are the weather. Yeah. Conditions dictate probabilities. Probabilities dictate outcome. Now, I want to go to the the name of the space. Fintwit is absolutely ridiculous, and I said that because absolutely right. Ridiculous. And, and and I want to and I, I don't want to make this sort of like a shit fest on Fintwit and a lot of the insanity that that tends to be spewed on Twitter. But I do think that there is something to this idea that the best thing a trader can do is actually not have Twitter open at all during the day, and not really have financial media playing in the background during the day. Because it, it creates these these this noise, it creates this self doubt, it creates confusion. I want you to talk about some of the some of the things that you see on Twitter as being problematic for traders who are looking for information and looking for ideas, but maybe are fooling themselves with the type of sentiment that gets pushed out there. Well, one of the problems that that, that we run into on Twitter is people do a really good job of making themselves appear perhaps more significant than they actually are. And without that pure confidence, we're all susceptible to outside influences. Even I'm susceptible to outside influences. So I don't really look at Twitter during the day. I've got eight or 10 really good friends who I follow on Twitter who are constantly putting ideas out there and whatever that I think are great traders that I have on mute. I love them dearly, but I mute them because I can't see what they're thinking. Because even me at this stage in my career, sometimes they're like, well, what's Brian Shannon know? What's what's he seeing that I don't that, that I'm not seeing? Well, maybe he's got you know because I'm not seeing anything right now. So you 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 all of a sudden slip into this. Well, that guy you know if that guy's doing it, maybe he knows something I don't know. And it's a really easy trap to fall into. And all of a sudden, you just start chasing all kinds of ideas that aren't yours. And if you chase an idea that's not yours, you don't take full ownership of it, whether you realize it or not. You don't take full ownership of it. So if it doesn't work, you'll blame that person or you'll blame yourself for being stupid, for following them or whatever it is. But it's not an organic idea of yours. I can trade organic ideas of mine and get my ass kicked and be completely at peace because I accept full responsibility. But if I start looking outside of myself for ideas and for reasons to engage the market when everything that I'm doing says don't be engaged, those are the ideas that do the most damage for me psychologically, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, and, and it's interesting because you, you do have this dynamic to your point where social proof in terms of the number of followers ends up being, I think, implicitly an assumption that the person actually knows how to trade very profitably and, and most importantly, trade profitably consistently, right? right. And, and the truth is, I've made this point many times before, Consistency is, you know, I would argue, largely an illusion. It's not about frequency; it's rather about magnitude over over cycles, which we can talk about. But right. but it is it is a challenge. And the other dynamic to your point about you know environments are changing, and one strategy may be good for one environment versus another. The other problem with with Twitter and looking at all this, all these tweets and all these you know influencers is that your style may not be working now, and you may be an advocate of your style because you've researched it, you know what you talked about, but then you'll start doubting it because people start attacking you because your style is not working in the here and now. We'll be back after a quick break. 
Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So, how do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. Right. I get made fun of all the time because I'm out there saying I'm not really doing anything. There's nothing to do. And, and, and people are constantly have guys come in and they chirp me or they tell me I'm just being lazy or, or they want to all of a sudden hop onto my bandwagon or use my exposure to tout how they're making so much money doing whatever it is that they're doing and whatever. It's like, I don't give a shit. Like, I, I, it, great. I, you, it's, there's a, there is a perception out there that is on people who have huge followings that they're world crushers they're and all of this. And the fact is, is, is many of them aren't, I mean, I'm just a guy. I, I mean, I, I have a decent, you know, from a fit into it standpoint, a decent following, but I'm just a, I'm just a guy in my pajamas sitting in front of screens trying to, you know, feed my family. I don't have a Ferrari. I don't have, you know, I've had success, but I've had enough success to take care of my family, which has been great, but it's, and I never talk about my successes. I mainly talk about my losses because I want people to understand that I get my ass kicked just like you do. Everybody takes losses. Taking losses is normal. The people that I have the problems with are the people that are on there every single day pounding the table about how much money they're making or pounding the table about how obvious things are or how easy something was. I can't remember somebody talked about how, you know, the short last week was the easiest. That was such an easy short. Everybody should have seen it. It's like, who says that? Really? Maybe it was, but, and it was somebody that I knew. So I quickly said, wow, you must've made a shit ton privately to them. No, I didn't really trade it. Oh, okay. (laughs) Then why, you know, it it, it just, people amaze me sometimes, but I, plus plus also you you end up seeing people that like, to your point, they pound their chest about a trade they actually did make, but it's maybe half a percent of their portfolio. Yeah. It's, it's not, and, and it's, I don't know. It's Twitter is, uh, there's a lot of good in, in the FinTwit community. I want to be really careful. I mean, I've met, I've met a lot of amazing people and I've built some, some friendships that I'll have for the rest of my life as a result of FinTwit that I wouldn't have otherwise that I'm incredibly thankful for the community itself. And because I got involved in Twitter because I was lonely, I was bored and I was lonely. Um, and that's one of the, the, the isolation of the individual trader is, 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 is a big, big issue. And I think FinTwit is a a wonderful outlet from that standpoint but we all have to temper what everybody's saying and i i i intentionally don't say hey here's a great stock or whatever very very often and most of my stuff is about the psychological aspects of trading for two reasons one i think the psychological aspects are the most important but two i don't want people following my trades i don't want people diving in and 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 just blindly following what I'm doing or whatever. And my success doesn't help people. My failures help people because they can learn from them. My success doesn't really, that's just me wanting somebody to tell me I, I'm, I'm awesome. So we have to remember what, where, where some of those, what, what's the motivation for the tweet? Sometimes you have to ask yourself, is it really to help people or is it just to help yourself? Anyway, so then no, no, I, and I, lo- I love that point about the failure because, and and I want to hit on that a little bit more after uh, Avi here, but I, I think that that is really missed, and and it's even a layer deeper, right? Because 
if you go through a drawdown and you're desynced based on the current environment, based on some strategy, you know, when you have those those periods, it's a question of is that is that loss, is that desync, is that drawdown a true failure? Because again, there's always cycles or something that you are believing in doesn't work, right? Which which we'll, we'll define in a second because I think it's a it's a it's a whole another interesting discussion that people don't really give too much credence to or, or attention to, which is you can say something is a success or a failure, but was it really with hindsight? Because is it a function of your effort versus the environment? Again, to your point that you're operating in, right? Which which we'll tease out. Let's get to another question. Right, comparison is such a dangerous game, and you know it's how do I it's. You're absolutely right, Avi. It's you know, everybody is. They have different starting points. Their experiences are different. Their needs are different. You know, people all the time in the teaching that I'm they're like, well, then how, how did you how did you see that? How did you react? And it's like part of it is just it's time in the seat. You can't. I can't trade. You know, the value of experience of doing this year after year after year. You start to see. I mean, cause the market. It's a collection of human emotion that drives stuffing and it has patterns to it to a certain degree that you start to recognize just because you're watching it all the time. It's kind of like driving and you start to understand how cars are going to move and where they're going and whatever, when you're on the highway, even though everybody's going 80 miles an hour, but it's, there's a lot of people there. You're comfortable in that setting because you have a sense of what's going on around you and whatever. And trading is, can be a little bit similar to that. The more you do it, the more comfortable you get. You don't have to constantly be looking around all the time, like being a super defensive driver because you just sort of trust your instincts and whatever. And, and, and I don't know that trading is a whole lot different than that from that standpoint. I mean, everything is your fault. I mean, in my opinion, in my world, everything, like if I make money, it's good on me. If I lose money, it's bad on me. There is nobody else to blame. I click that fucking button. There is nobody. And I have freedom of choice not to click that button. So there's nobody to blame other than me ever. And the moment you're able to grab onto that, the, the, the faster you will grow as a trader, that, that, that whole concept of personal responsibility, it's all your fault. It's not the Fed's fault. It's not, it's, not whoever, it's not whoever you're listening to's fault. It is nobody else's fault but yours when you lose money. I think they call it the self-attribution bias. That's as I'm trying to go back in my own memory as far as behavioral uh, finances. But but it, but hold on, let's focus on the word fault for a second. So this goes back to defining that which is wrong or a mistake or failure or fault. Because again, you're always going to have periods where what you're doing isn't working. And the problem that I often see myself when I speak to individual investors, retail occasionally, is they if it's not working now whatever they're doing, whatever indicator, whatever strategy, they abandon it and they try to chase the thing which is seemingly working now. So they're constantly changing their approach to match the environment. And Tom, you can speak to this, I'm sure, directly, but that's really problematic because if you keep chasing the here and now, first of all, you're assuming that whatever you went through wasn't an anomaly. It could have been, meaning that whatever you followed before could start to rework again. But also you end up kind of losing yourself in terms of even knowing how how to think about portfolio growth if you're just always chasing the hot dot. Right. If you're constantly strategy hopping because you're looking for the next great thing, I mean, it's like I'm a big believer that you got to be really good at one thing because there's so many nuances and so many details just within that one thing to make you successful, to know when a setup is is an actual setup and when a setup isn't a setup and stuff like that, that if you're constantly bouncing around and oh, low floats are hot right now, so I'm going to go play low floats. Ooh, growth stocks are hot right now. Oh, I see everybody's going into FANG stocks right now, so I'm going to trade those right now. Oh, the market's in a downtrend, so now I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to become an expert shorting and whatever. I mean, each one of those 
is its own animal with its own personality and its own set of cycles as to when it's successful and when it's not. So do breakout trade, even breakout trades don't always work in an uptrend. They work at specific times within an uptrend. And so if I'm a breakout trader, I'm not just always trading breakouts within an uptrend. There are times when pullback trading is much better than breakout trading. There are times when, and there are certain sectors that are terrible breakout trades, trading stocks, but they're great pullback trading stocks. You learn that through experience. And so you figure out how you're going to play and you get really detailed. But see, I know that because I focus primarily on trading growth stocks that break out and go have, have explosive moves in healthy markets. And so there's so many details within that how semiconductor trades versus versus software companies trade, how internet content trades versus EV stocks and, and whatever they are. You have to get so adept at focusing on the minutia. Actually, when your system's not working, that's your communicating mechanism to back off because your system, and for me, it's always been, I mean, I have I have a list of stocks every single week that I make that I call down to a very tight list. And I don't look outside that list the entire week. And I can gauge how the market is just based on the performance of those stocks and how they're behaving because it's a great barometer for me. It's always been the best barometer is by following the leading stocks because that's they kind of tend to demonstrate. Like right now, we're getting our ass kicked, but we're starting to have more and more leading stocks that are slowly but surely showing up. That doesn't necessarily seem the market's going to turn around or the, or the or this market's drop is wrong or whatever. It's just, but it's an indicator that is contrary to the tape. And so you just kind of log that and makes you watch a little bit closer because you really don't want to do anything until your entire deck is stacked, market, sector, and stock. Well, I think I think the underlying question, though, first, and that is, is do you do you do stock picking from a trading perspective, or do you do thematic expressions for ETFs? I think that that's the first question. I don't have a passive side to the way that I trade. If that's what you're asking, I am I am fully active, and I'm looking for beta in environments that are going to give me beta, and then in environments where I where where my edge is not existent, I literally sit out and I don't do anything. I wait. I might nickel and dime. On an intraday basis here and there, I got pretty adept to trade. I love to trade Apple. And so in bad markets or in markets that are choppy and, and growth stocks aren't really working, I, I now have, a, have, have built into my, my skill set. I've got a couple of vehicles that I will go to and I'll trade them interday or on a two to three day basis. And Apple is probably the main one that I trade. I just understand how it flows. It tends to sync really well with the futures market and just kind of nickel and dime that while I'm waiting for the market to give me a bigger opportunity with my with with my bigger capital. And if it's just like this month I've done pretty much nothing but just nickel and dime. I probably for the for, for the better part of since January, from January to May, I really didn't do anything. Once we started to round out and and grind and started to grind up a little bit, I started nickeling and diming the market, but that's all I call them hit and run trades. They're literally one or two day trades. That's it. And with my service, I'm not with the guys that I'm teaching. I'm like right now because of these parameters, the market is in a is in a situation where all we're doing is taking setups for one, two, or three days. Nothing past three days, simply because I, you know, when prices is acting the way that it's acting, the risk reward just isn't there. Things aren't following through more than one or one or two days, and so that's all we're doing right now. And we're just grabbing and grabbing and chunking and chunking and taking little bits and little bits. When the market changes, we start going for for bigger chunks. 
but it's 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 sort of my my risk management methodology gets defined by the environment and if the environment says do nothing then I don't do anything I'm I'm perfectly content sitting in cash for you know 4 6 8 weeks at a time or longer if I have to be intraday I will I will trade short intraday I'll trade the Qs or the SPY short intraday and that's it otherwise I don't do you have to understand though I'm coming from a different a different perspective I'm a guy who's just trying to make money to take care of my family as opposed to a guy that's trying to beat a benchmark or is managing money for other people or whatever. Like for me, it's just about, I want to put my money on the line when I think I've got a high probability of making a chunk of change. And I want to do that as many times as possible through the month to cover my expenses. And so my mindset with the way that I approach the market is sometimes it it doesn't really apply in, in the bigger sense to somebody who's portfolio managing because I don't view myself and, and what it is that I do. I just look at the market as a as as an entity that exists, and it's it's this big moving object. And I'm trying to figure out how I can sneak in there and steal a few bucks here and steal a few bucks there and get the hell back out and go live my life. I mean, so it's a different benchmark that I'm running off of than most portfolio managers run off of. So I'm always careful not to remind people of that because the way that I do things is driven by just my own personal individual capital needs and not trying to, you know, I, I, like I have no idea. I have no idea what my rate of return is on an annualized basis. None, zero. I don't ever measure it. I literally don't. I, I, it's, it comes down to, okay, those are my expenses and that's what I got. It. That, that's, that's kind of my monthly target or my annual target is to meet that or better. But I'm glad you mentioned that that distinction between you know individual versus institution because whereas when you are trading for yourself, your objective is to make profit to cover your expenses, and I think that makes it also challenging even in the fintwit community because there are the those that are in the business that are running funds and they get vilified for doing what they are they designed do. to right. do. Absolutely, and it's 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 apples to oranges and. People all have to, and it goes back to Avi's point that we all have a different starting point. We all have a different environment that we're operating in. Everybody's coming from a completely different experience, and therefore we're all coming from completely different motivations when we're entering trades as to what it is we're trying to get out of it. And so my market interaction fits my life and fits what I'm trying to do, and it may be completely absurd to somebody who is a portfolio manager because completely different mandate. If you don't need it, don't take it. And the reason I say that is because I I did manage for a few people for a little while earlier on in my career once I kind of got rolling. And A, it drove me batshit crazy. B, it hugely affected my ability to get up and walk away. And one of the great keys to my personal style is that I'm really good at knowing when to just get up and walk away and go play golf. And it's also just, it's healing for me and everything. But there's nothing worse than being on the golf course and somebody and, and the market's up 500 points or whatever. And somebody calls and goes, man, how much money did we make today? And you're like, nothing. I'm on the 12th hole. You know, you're bothering me. Like it doesn't jibe. And so if you don't need it, my, my personal advice is don't take it unless you want to do that as part of your career as a huge primary source of income because it adds a layer to your decision making it adds it adds a huge layer to how you choose to live your life 
as somebody who interacts with the markets on a daily basis, because now it's not just you and your money. It's somebody else who brings a whole different set of expectations to what they define you should be doing and how you should be working. And I will I will add to that having experience with that. It's also it's it's to your point, it's maddening because what ends up happening is you can communicate your strategy, the end client can understand the strategy, they can believe in you, but the moment again you're desynced, suddenly, you know, it's like, what the hell are you doing? Right. Uh, you know, well, you should change your position. Why are we in cash? Why are we doing this? And the problem with that is it's a it's a it's a it's a, it's a time mismatch. When you're an advisor or you're managing a strategy, which you hope, because it is hope, let's face it, nobody knows the future, you hope that we'll have some kind of longer-term return pattern that's different, that outperforms, you're going to have these wiggles, you're going to have these drawdowns, you're going to have these periods where they can be particularly nasty, and you still believe in your approach, your mindset, your experience, what you're investing in, but the end clients, don't, not having your knowledge, not having your brain, your experience, all that stuff, they're going to start pushing back on you. So it's, you know. I guess my point in, in that it's 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 a lot harder than people think. Managing money right. for yourself is very different than managing money for others, especially when you're in an environment where, for whatever reason, your shit's just not working. And they don't get it. All they and they don't get it's it. Not, right. Is that it's not working, and they don't they don't get it. Other than it's not working. So I mean, they're like the classic strategy hoppers. They're like, well, then do something different. You're like, no, you don't get it. This is how we do it. Over time, it pays off. Well, they don't have the patience because they don't have the history with 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 the methodology like you do, or understand the psychological side of it. So, yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. So, again, everybody here, please make sure you follow Tom on Twitter. I want to give you a, a couple of minutes, Tom, talk talk about the new adventure. It would be dumb follow price. Talk about uh, talk about what you're trying to do with that that site. It's a teaching service. I do a write up every weekend, and it's a, with with a couple of videos. We do Q and A. Big Q&A once a month, and I've got a private Twitter feed where people are always asking me questions and whatever. But I'm basically opening up how I do things and how I see the world and how I build structure and how I analyze the market, and then I whittle it down to these stocks. I've got a master list and a focus list, and the focus list is usually about 30 names, and the master list is about 100, and I do that every single week. And from those stocks, that's where we take our trades, and we grade the environment, and I'm just slowly teaching how I interact and how I have interacted on a daily basis for the last 25 years and pass it on. And I, you know, it's, I've got some people that are very experienced traders in there that are just looking for, for better idea generation. And some people who are starting from scratch and some people who just kind of want to have that coach in their corner that just kind of can help correct them or encourage them or whatever, as they're going through their day. I don't, spend a lot of time simply making calls. I point things out and whatever, but I want to teach people how to trade for themselves, not listen to me. I'm just trying to narrow their scope and narrow their framework and give them a methodology that allows them to stay focused on what they need to be focused on. So that's what I do. It's called Be Dumb, Follow Price. It's obviously, it's a, I'm a big believer that you tune out all the noise and you just focus on 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 the price and volume action of stocks in the index and how to read the market through through those through that lens. Perfect. Again, thank everybody for joining. And Tom, I really do appreciate the hour here. Thank you, everybody. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, 
but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Leadlag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Leadlag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.